Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen. If you would turn with me and copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll notice in the chair in front of you, uh, there's a copy there. Um, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love to, that to be uh, our gift to you. Uh, as I said a week or so ago, if you don't feel comfortable taking that one, please let us know and we will get you uh, another Bible because we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. During the mid-90s through the early 2000s, one of the most popular sitcoms on television was the sitcom Friends. As with most popular sitcoms, the theme song for Friends is recognizable by many people almost instantly. For those that are familiar with the show Friends and that theme song, have you ever paid attention to the lyrics of that song? It says, so no one told you Life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke, you're broke, your love life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. Can you relate to some of the lines in that passage? You know, we've all had bad days, but many of us have had bad days that have stretched into bad weeks and they've stretched into bad months and have even stretched into bad years. And you see, if we're not careful, it doesn't take much for us to develop a pessimistic or downcast view of life. If if we're not careful, we can lose track of what we've been really called to. You see, church, I think we can all agree that the last 16 months have been pretty difficult. COVID has been a life-altering experience for us. It's had such an impact on our lives that we talk about things now as being pre-COVID or post-COVID. For the last 16 months, the coronavirus has been our primary focus. We've had to make numerous adjustments in how we live our lives. And there was a time over these last 16 months where the coronavirus was at the very center of all the decisions we were making here at the church. When do we go back to meeting in person? When do we allow growth groups to start meeting in person? When should we allow our children's ministries to start up again, our youth ministries? Do we wear masks or don't we wear masks? The the coronavirus has become an all-consuming distraction. As it came to the end of last year, I began to pray, asking the Lord, what was a word that he had for me leading into 2021. And as I began to pray this prayer, I really, it just really was impressed upon me how the coronavirus had become the main focus. And as a Christian, as a pastor, I know that this is a problem. Again, I don't want to downplay the seriousness of the coronavirus because it is very serious. However, the coronavirus cannot be what dictates how we live our lives. The word that the Lord gave me 
for 2021 was the word refocus. Refocus. If you see, church, it's time for the church, the people of God, to refocus on what truly matters. It's time for the church, the people of God, to refocus on who really matters. So this morning, in the time that we have remaining, I want us to put aside all of the distractions that we have in life and to refocus on what really matters. This morning, I want us to focus or refocus on Jesus Christ. And I want us to refocus on the life of faith that we've all been called to. Hebrews chapter 12, one through three. If you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. This passage here in Hebrews chapter 12 is one of the great passages of the New Testament. Here the author of Hebrews gives us a summary of what the Christian life is truly about. Chapter 12 begins with a familiar race metaphor by which the author of Hebrews challenges us to press on in this race of life. Throughout the New Testament, we see on multiple occasions this comparison between the Christian life and a race. For you see, both require focus and effort. Both require sacrifice and perseverance. Both involve hardships. And both have a clearly defined finish line that we strive for. For the believer, that finish line is heaven. You see, as long as you have breath in your body, as long as your heart is beating, you are still in the race. And the author of Hebrews knows that this race is not easy. He knows that there is great temptation to quit, to give up, and to not finish this race. You see, there are so many distractions along the way that seek to take our focus away from what we've been called to. In these three verses, the author of Hebrews wants to encourage us. He wants to help us reset our focus on the one who will both encourage and strengthen us to finish strong. Again, look with me at verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The first part of this verse stands as encouragement for believers. Believers that are running this race of faith. And what better source of encouragement is there than to remember the lives of the faithful who have gone before us? 
In chapter 11, the author lays out what has been called the Hall of Fame. He goes through the lives and lists many of the Old Testament saints. And he recounts briefly of their lives and how they stayed faithful to the Lord, how they had faith. Now, these heroes were by no means perfect. When you go back and you look in the lives of each of those people that were mentioned, you will see that they were very flawed individuals. Each one of them had many struggles along their journey. Many of them faced temptations, to, the temptation to quit and walk away, but they persevered. They kept on running that race of faith, and they completed their journey that was set before them. Christian, allow me to encourage you today. Again, I know that life is not easy. It's filled with many challenges, many hardships. I don't care what anybody says, the life of a disciple of Jesus is not an easy one. If someone ever tells you that, then they don't really know because the life of a disciple is not easy. But I want you to hear this. You're not alone in this race. God has given us in his word the story of many believers who came before us, who've walked the same path, faced the same hardships, and yet they persevered. He's given us this great cloud of witnesses in order that it might motivate us to stay the course. F.F. Bruce in his commentary on Hebrews said, quote, it is not so much that they, it's not so much they that look at us as we who look to them for encouragement, end quote. And it's not just the example of these saints of old from the Bible that we have to look at as a source of encouragement, but the people in our lives that have played such an impact, but maybe who've gone on to be with the Lord. Maybe you had a mom or a dad that's gone on to be with the Lord, but they were a faithful follower of Christ. I just, I just had a meeting the other day, uh, actually, yeah, yesterday with a couple, and the gentleman told me that his mother was the most faithful Christian that he's ever known. And he told me how she served the Lord faithfully and how she cared so much for people. He has her as an example. Though she's gone on to be with the Lord, he can look back over her life and remember the example that she, show, that she showed him growing up. Maybe we've had grandparents that have taught us the importance of faith. We've had friends or mentors. I had a professor in my undergraduate at Baylor. His name was Dr. David Slover. Probably one of the most humble men that I've ever met in my life. And in those years that I was there, he modeled for me what a godly man was. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but I can remember back to all those times, the conversations that we had. So we have, God gives us people in our lives to remember, to encourage us, to keep pressing on in this race of faith. The author of Hebrews says, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles. You see, in a race... Every ounce counts. The lighter the runner, the swifter the runner. You know, the Olympics are coming up soon. And one of the most popular events that people watch at the Olympics is the track and field events, particularly the running events. So let me ask you this. When an athlete steps into the blocks, is he still wearing his warm-up uniform? No. When he steps into the blocks, is he just wearing regular tennis shoes? No. Well, why not? Because those warm-ups are heavier 
than the spandex uniform he's wearing underneath. It's, if he kept on the warm-up uniform, it's going to get in the way. Well, why does he wear track shoes instead of just regular tennis shoes? Because track shoes are lighter, and every ounce matters. The athlete doesn't want anything getting in the way, keeping him or her from running at their peak level. The same is to be true of the Christian life. Many things in this life slow us down. They seek to stall us in this race of faith. And God's word tells us that we're to lay these things aside, that we're to take them off or cast them aside. What are these things? These things are anything that would get in the way of us fulfilling what God has called us to do. But in order to do this, it requires self-examination, which is hard at times. We have to ask, is there anything in my life that is interfering with my commitment to Jesus Christ? Is there anything in my life that's getting in the way of me growing as his disciple? You know this. We live in a world full of distractions. There are so many things in our lives that distract us, that are seeking to slow us down, keep us preoccupied. Make no mistake, church, the world is striving to turn our hearts away from the Lord. The world is striving to distract us from the race of faith that the Lord has set before us. So I want to take a moment and talk about some of these distractions. I would say arguably the greatest distraction today is this right here. I would make the case that this is the greatest distraction that we have. Um, how many of us have a problem? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand during this part, please. But I mean, unless you feel the need to confess. But how many of us have a problem putting this thing down? This, this is a tough one here. How many of us, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing that you grab is this? And I don't mean just to turn off your alarm that went off. But how many of us... The, after you turn the alarm off, then you get on social media, get on Facebook, get on Twitter, get on YouTube, check your email, get on the, a news app. How many of us is that the first thing that we do when we wake up? How many of us feel lost if we don't have this with us? How many of us that if we walk out the house and we get in the car and we start driving and we're five minutes down the road and we realize we forgot this, how many of us turn around and go back and get it? Even if we're just going to be gone to the grocery store real quick, right? <laughs> this, this is one that gets, really gets me. How many of us, when we're watching TV, will also be on our phone at the same time? Aren't we watching TV so that we can focus on what the TV show is? No. Uh, I know someone in my own house, I'm not going to name names, but they, when they're playing video games on their PlayStation, they also have their phone going uh, with something, you know, some YouTube video or something. How much time are we spending on our phones compared to the time that we're spending in the Word or spending in prayer? You want to know if this is really an issue? Turn on that setting on your phone that gives you at the end of the week the amount of time, screen time you've spent. That's a good indication to tell you if you have an issue with the cell phone. What are some other distractions? Hobbies. Hobbies can most certainly interfere with the race of faith. If you're spending more time doing your hobby 
than you are spending with the Lord or spending with your family, spending time in his church, then that, that hobby is weighing you down in the race of faith. Now, this one here is hard. As they say, I'm about to go to meddling on this one, okay? Parents, how about our kids' activities? Can that interfere with the race of faith? I would say this is probably the, a major one for most parents in America today. How many families have allowed their kids' extracurricular activities to dominate the family schedule? I want you to pay attention to the first part of the word, extracurricular. That means that those activities are not necessary. They are extra. Your kids don't need to be in everything that's out there. I promise you, if your son or daughter does not participate in every activity out there, they are not going to be scarred for life. They will be okay. But I would ask you a more challenging question. What is more important to you? Is it more important for your child to participate in every extracurricular activity that's out there? Or is it more important to you that when they leave your home, that they are a fully committed follower of Christ, that as they go out into the world, they are going to live for Christ. And one day, when they have children, when they have a family and they have children, that they raise their family up in the ways of the Lord. I know that's not a hard question to answer. All of us would, of course, answer, well, it's more important that they're uh, committed followers of Christ. But I would ask you a follow-up question. Do your actions show that? Because... If your kids are involved in every single thing, then it seems to say, your actions seem to say something different. This one is kind of hard too. Ministry or service can actually get in the way of a faithful running of the race in that we overcommit ourselves to too many service opportunities. I heard it once said, you can, get, you can become so busy doing the work of the Lord, that you miss the Lord in that. Now, again, I want you to hear, hear me when I say this. All of these things that I've mentioned, and there's many more we could mention, they're not, these things are not inherently bad in and of themselves. Again, there's nothing wrong with having a cell phone. There's nothing wrong with having hobbies. There's nothing wrong in our kids being involved in things, and there's nothing wrong with service. What we're saying, though, is that we need to evaluate the amount of time that we're putting into all of these things. And we have to ask ourselves, and we have to be honest with ourselves, are these things hindering my ability to run this race of faith faithfully? The author of Hebrews also tells us, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. For you see, sin is a hindrance in success excuse me, in successfully running the race of faith. You see, because sin clings to us. It's hard to get off. It's heavy. You ever seen those glue traps that you put out, like if you have mice in your house, right? You know those? When, right before we left Temple, we had sold our house, and we actually ended up living in a duplex. We thought it was going to only be for six months, and it turned out two years 
And there was a big field behind this duplex. And in the last year we were there, we started having an issue of getting mice, field mice in the house. So I put out these glue traps. And if you're familiar with them, again, the, mice, the mouse runs across it and it gets stuck, right? And the, that mouse will start moving as much as it can, trying to free itself. But no matter how hard it moves, it can't get out. That glue sticks to the mouse. In the same way, it's the same way with sin. It's hard to get out of sin once you engage it. It sticks to you. And no matter how hard you try in your own power, you can't free yourself. But what is the sin that the author of Hebrews is talking about? You see, it says the sin. In the, in the Greek there, the the is the definite article. So it's the sin. What is the sin that so easily entangles us? It's that sin that always trips you up. That sin that you constantly find yourself going back to. And that's different for everybody. You know, we're not all tempted by the same things. Some people are tempted by alcohol. Others don't have a desire to even take a drink. There are some people that struggle with anger. They go from zero to a hundred like that. And yet there's other people that no matter the stress of the situation, they remain perfectly calm. It's not an issue. There are some people that struggle with issues of pride, while there's other people who are very humble. Some people struggle with greed, while others are perfectly content with what they have. And you could list many other uh, sins. But again, notice when he says about sin, it's the sin that so easily entangles us. What a true statement that is. It does not take much for us to fall into sin, does it? And why? Romans 3.10 tells us that there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, we are by nature sinful creatures. And as one commentator said, I love it, quote, sin finds an easy victim in us all. Sin finds an easy victim in us all. So sin interferes with our relationship with Christ. It hinders us in this race. And if you're here today and you know that right now you're being held captive by your sin, I want you to know that Jesus came and he died to set you free from whatever sin it is that you're struggling with. Christian, I would tell you today, if you find yourself being held captive by sin, remember that you, are, you have been set free in Christ, that sin no longer has a power on you. The only power sin has on us after we come to faith in Christ is what we allow. Pre-Christ, we have no control. Post-Christ, we make the decision to sin or to not. He goes on again to say, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he sets you on this path. He places you in this race. We don't know what waits around the corner. We don't know what challenges that we're going to face. And that's okay that we don't know. But no, irregardless of what challenges are around the corner, what difficulties we're going to face, we have to remember that what's awaiting us at the finish line is so much better. It's so much better than anything the world could offer us. 
He tells us, run with endurance. Endurance is the power to withstand hardship or stress. It means to have inward fortitude. See, the idea that the Christian life is all blue skies and and smooth sailing is false. Anyone who would tell you that the Christian life is easy obviously has not spent much time studying the Word of God. And the author here, Hebrews, is imploring us, stand firm in our resolve. Don't drop out of the race. Don't quit. No matter the hardship, no matter the pain, no matter how tired you are, don't quit. This race that we're in, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it requires, it requires endurance. It requires persistence and patience. So how do we stay focused on the race that's been set before us? What do we need to do? He tells us in verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus means that our focus, our attention is on him and him alone. There can be no divided attention. And this is not a one-time event. But this must be a continual action. We must continually fix our eyes on Jesus. And it's a battle, church, every day. And really, it's a moment-by-moment battle. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus requires discipline on our part. We look to Jesus on how to run this race of faith. Why? Because the scripture says he is the perfecter, the author and perfecter of the faith. For you see, faith begins and ends with him. It is Jesus who initiates the faith, and he is the one who completes our faith. Our faith depends on him from beginning to end. You see, while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. He walked the same road we walked. Jesus faced hardships just as we do. He, he knew pain like we know pain. He knew suffering as we know suffering. In Matthew 8, 20, Jesus said, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, he has nowhere to lay his head. You see, Jesus, he, he felt the pain of, rejected, of, of rejection. He was rejected by the very ones that he came to save. Jesus understood betrayal. His disciples abandoned him. Judas betrayed him. Jesus knows what it means to be betrayed. And he experienced every bit of pain and suffering when he went to the cross. He understands the pain and the hardship of this race that we have been placed upon. But I want you to notice Jesus' attitude. It says, Who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So just briefly, I want, us, I want to remind us of exactly what Jesus went through on the cross. First, the physical pain. Again, imagine with me, aside from the beating that he took before he went on the cross, imagine having nails driven through your hands. Imagine having nails driven through your feet. Imagine the feeling of suffocation, because that's what happens on the cross. He's suffocating up there. And the only way that he can get a breath is to push himself up, tearing all kinds of tendons and ligaments in his body just to gain a breath. That's the physical pain he went through. But it, Jesus didn't go through just physical pain on the cross. There was a deep spiritual pain that he experienced as well. And I think you maybe could make the case that the spiritual pain that he experienced was even greater than the physical pain. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse 34, the Bible tells us, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most scholars believe that it was at this moment that the sins of the world were placed upon Jesus. Now, again, I want you to understand the weight of this. For the first time ever, for the first time in his life, the perfect son of God who knew no sin, Paul says, became sin for us on our behalf. He whom had walked in perfect fellowship with God the Father was now separated from him. Hence why he cried out, my God, my God. Again, I, I know I've shared this with you before, but when Jesus usually spoke of the Father, did he, call, did he refer to him as God? No. He referred, he referred to him as his Father, right? That intimate relationship that was there. But in that moment when sin was placed upon Jesus Christ, that relationship was broken. Because that's what sin does. Sin is like a barrier between us in Christ. And for the first time, now Jesus was experiencing the full wrath of God Almighty. But it wasn't just the physical pain, it wasn't just the spiritual pain that Jesus experienced. But Jesus also experienced humiliation upon the cross. Whenever you see um, a picture of a crucifix, or maybe even an actual crucifix, a lot of times what you'll see is you'll see Jesus up on the cross, and usually he's wearing a loincloth in his covering. Generally speaking, when the Romans crucified individuals, they crucified them naked because they wanted to humiliate them. We don't know for certain, but there's a chance, a good chance, that Jesus on the cross was naked. If so, imagine the humiliation that that was but yet he endured that. Again, F.F. Bruce in his commentary on Hebrews said, quote, to die by crucifixion was to plumb the lowest depths of disgrace. It was a punishment reserved for those who were deemed most unfit to live, end quote. And yet the scripture says that Jesus endured it. He endured it. He endured it for you, and he endured it for me. But it stands out to me when it says, for the joy 
set before him. <laughs> For the joy? What joy? It was the joy of what was to come as a result of what he was doing. The joy was found in the salvation that would be possible now because of what he was doing. It was all the men and the women and the children who would come to faith as a result of what he had to endure. One commentator even said, we were that joy. We were that joy. It says that he despised the shame of the cross. To despise is to look down on with contempt. Basically what it means is that he thought nothing of its supposed shame. He dismissed it as nothing. You see, again, Jesus saw that all he would go through was insignificant compared to what he was going to accomplish by going to the cross. And again, the Bible says that after completing his task, after his resurrection and his ascension, he returned to his father and he sat down at the right hand of God. The right hand is the place of power and authority. In the Greek, the verb set down is in the perfect tense, which points to its permanent result. It's where he sits today, church. Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. We serve a risen Savior who is all-powerful, church, and he is exalted above all others. Verse 3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again, the author wants to encourage us. Don't give up prematurely. Keep going. He challenges us not to grow weary or to lose heart. To grow weary or to be, is to become fatigued. And that fatigue is both mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. To lose heart is to quit. You ever been there? You ever been not just physically tired, but mentally tired? You've been emotionally just spent? Have you ever had that feeling that you wanted to just quit? Lord, I've had it with these problems. Lord, I've had it with these people. I just need to get away. I, I want to quit. I don't want to be around anyone. I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm just done. You ever been there? I know I've been there. We've all been in that place where we've said, Lord, I'm done. I'm done with these problems, done with these people, whether that's family, friends, work. And let's just be real. We have a saying here, we want real people to be real, right? This mentality even applies at church. I'm done with people at church. I'm, we've all thought it. We've all had those feelings because we've been distracted. We've all been there. But you know what? Jesus didn't allow the weariness. He didn't allow the despair. He didn't allow the discouragement that he felt to keep him from faithfully obeying his heavenly father and doing what he had been called to do. So the author of Hebrews says, look to him, consider him, consider what he went through. Basically, in a sense, he's saying, if you think you have it bad, remember what Jesus went through. Because is there any of us that could honestly say we've had it tougher than Jesus? No, we've not been through anything compared to what he's been through. 
There is an old hymn we used to sing growing up called, There's No Friend Like the Lowly Jesus. You know that hymn, some of you? There's a line in there that says, Jesus knows all about our struggles, right? He knows. I love the game of baseball. To me, baseball is arguably the best sport out there. Now, some of you disagree, but let me tell you why baseball is the best sport out there. Baseball is actually probably one of the most difficult sports to play. To be able to hit this ball at a major league level is extremely difficult. Baseball, unlike nothing else, you can fail seven out of ten times, and yet you're considered great at what you do. Tell me what else in life you can fail seven out of ten times. If you're a baseball player and you hit 300, guess where you're headed? Hall of Fame. Exactly. Quit looking at my notes, Jerry. You're headed to the Hall of Fame. The great Ted Williams said that hitting a baseball is the most difficult thing to do in sports. Ted Williams, who played 19 years for the Boston Red Sox, 19 seasons, had a lifetime batting average of 344. That's tied for seventh best in Major League Baseball. Seventh best. And he only hit the ball 34% of the time that he got up to the plate. And yet he's one of the best ever. Did you know that to hit a Major League, to hit a major league fastball, the average fastball is in the mid-90s, okay? There's lots of guys who throw in the high 90s or even triple digits. It's coming from 60 feet or 60 and a half feet, I think it is. You know that the, that the batter has 150 milliseconds. That's how fast he has to decide whether he's going to swing at this ball. It's hard to hit a baseball. There's a lot of distractions when you're up at the plate. You got the crowd, right? They're hollering at you, screaming at you. You got the opposing dugout hollering at you. And a lot of times, and I know my son knows this because he plays catcher, you got ornery catchers that are down there and they're talking to you, trying to distract you, right? And they can, they can do it, but you could still hit a baseball aside from all of that. But there's one thing that if you don't do, you'll never hit this ball. What's that? You don't take, you take your eye off this ball. You don't keep your eye on this ball and you will never hit the baseball. Well, you know what? The same principle is true in the Christian life. If we take our eyes off of Jesus, we'll never be able to accomplish all that God has for us. I want you to imagine with me, church, what would happen if we would stop focusing on all the distractions around us and we would simply fix our eyes on Jesus? Maybe, just maybe, that weight that we carry around with us would just fall off. Maybe that sin that so easily entangles us, we wouldn't be caught up in that sin anymore. Life is hard. And I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's only going to get harder. We know that's true. Pastor J. Vernon McGee said, quote, Unless you stay close to the Word of God, where the Holy Spirit can take the things of Christ and make them real to you, 
you're going to get weary of the Christian life and you're going to faint. But if you come to the word of God and get close to Jesus Christ, you're going to get encouraged. You will not grow weary of this life down here, end quote. This life, this race that we've been set on is for a lifetime. My question for you this morning is, how well are you running your race? To the non-Christian that may be here today or listening, watching online, you may say, Pastor Justin, I'm not even in the race. Well, if that's the case, then I want to invite you to join the race today. I cannot and I will not promise you an easy life. This race is filled with pain. It's filled with hardship. It's filled with heartache. But what I can promise you this morning is that you will never be alone in this race. You'll never be alone. You'll never be alone again because when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into you and he's with you all the way to the end. And it's very simple. If that's you today and you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in a moment we're gonna have an invitation and you have the opportunity and all you have to do is go before God and ask him to forgive you of your sins. All you have to do is place your faith, your belief, your trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To the Christian here today or watching online, listening by way of radio, are you running your, your race well? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Or have you allowed the distractions of this world to pull your attention away? from where Christ is calling you to place it. In a moment, we're gonna sing a song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And this is your time to respond to the message. Again, for those maybe to receive Christ for the first time, for the believer, time for you to go to God in prayer and to ask, Lord, has my focus been taken away? And if so, God, help me to put it back on you. And so I leave you with the first verse and chorus of turn your eyes upon Jesus. O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that you sent him to free us, Lord, of our sin. That if we would only come to you in faith, ask for forgiveness of our sins, surrender our lives to you, the Bible says that we will be saved. That your Holy Spirit will come and he will reside with us and he will see us through to that finish line. God, we give this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.